0: Good evening, and welcome to Night Gallery.
1: Thank you, Rod. And I want to welcome everyone to Midnight Viewing, where once a month we talk all about your follow-up to The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's Night Gallery. They say it's Rod Serling's Night Gallery, and it isn't really Rod Serling's Night Gallery, it's somebody else's. Oh, we know. We talk about it a lot. Your curators at Midnight Viewing are the projection booth's Mike White. What can happen to human beings when trust is wiped out by suspicion? And Culture Cast's Chris Stashew. Small boy encased in
0: a crystal ball.
1: And I'm Father Malone. The kind of thing that usually infests nightmares. Join us monthly at midnight viewing the Night Gallery podcast at WeirdingwayMedia.com.
0: Doesn't remotely belong
1: to me. I have no proprietary interest in that at all. I'm Chris Stashu. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone.
2: And we are the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a once a month look at the Twilight Zone 1985. Yeah, it's a show.
3: (laughs) I mean, I don't know.
2: Uh, I would Ah. say it's our favorite. It is the best reboot of the show. But ladies and gentlemen, the third season of that show is doing everything it can to give us a reason not to say that.
1: It It can't sully the earlier seasons, though. That's right.
2: That's fair. That's fair. It cannot, it cannot undo. It cannot retcon quality. However, right. on this episode, we are talking about three episodes of the third season, episode seven, eight, and nine, The Hellgramite Method, Our Selina Is Dying, and The Call.
0: Miley Judson, and every man who has strayed from the path, slipped, and fallen many times. A man who seeks solace from his problems at the bottom of a glass. A good man at war with himself, slowly drowning in alcohol, swallow by swallow, pulled down by the insidious undertow of an endless ocean of booze, helpless to stop doing the one thing he does better than anything else, drink.
2: The Helgramine Method aired November 5th, 1988. It is directed by Gilbert M. Shilton, written by William Selby, and it stars That's My Bush, Timothy Bottoms. Boy, that is a a, uh, specific reference for only a certain age group of people, Um, because I'm sure he's been in other better things. Apocalypse Now? No, That's My Bush.
1: No, no. Oh, I know. You said he's probably been in better things. Yes,
3: he has. He was in Apocalypse Now.
2: But his role in That's My Bush was he was top build in that, though.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not to be he was confused, confused with Joseph Bottoms, by the way. Totally right. different guy.
2: Um, if you're wondering why I was bringing up That's My Bush, it's because Timothy Bottoms does look a lot like George Bush he can in the, the right light. Good.
3: Yeah, he can do good Bush impersonation. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but he plays a, a a struggling alcoholic who agrees to a unique treatment that will stop him from drinking and also may stop him from living. Uh, it was fun. Can an yeah. episode about alcoholics no. drinking worms be fun? It could be. <laughs> you, I, yeah. If the right person think, was directing it. Yeah, sure. I don't think
1: we got that here. But no, I um, agree. Uh, You know, as soon as it started, I, I just had a flash of, uh, there's a Stephen King short story called Quitters Incorporated. Thank you. Which yes. They, which they had already uh, adapted into the film Cat's Eye uh, with James Woods. And man, it is great. Oh, yeah. uh, known stable
2: genius, James Woods.
1: Right. Yes, of course.
2: Uh, he was the name, by the way, Mike, we forgot on that Culture Cast recording. We were naming all the crazy right-wing yo-yos. Oh, right wing yo yo's. James Woods was the name we forgot, which James Woods is more upset about that than we are. I guarantee you that. He you wants to. You
3: the
1: king? Yeah,
2: <laughs>
3: the king of the nutsos.
2: We did, but we <laughs> remember John Voigt.
3: Yeah. Oh, well.
2: And Robert Davi.
3: But yeah, I was totally thinking of Quitters Inc. as well, as well as a little bit Poltergeist 2, like that scene yeah. where Stephen oh, yeah. drinks the tequila With and the worm, he gets the yeah. worm. Yeah. And then the worm ends up the coming out. out. Yeah, Thanks to exactly. our friend
2: Mark Begley, I actually know what you're talking about. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it is weird. that It wouldn't – can Poltergeist 2 have been a, a couple of years around this?
3: It was definitely around this time. Yeah. yeah I can't was, remember. Yeah. I think it came out before. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So. Cause the first poltergeist came out in like 83. So yeah, yeah, the right. next one was 85, maybe um, certainly earlier than 1988. That's yeah. um, so, uh, you know, aside of the fact that it immediately evoked this other better thing, I, I was kind of into it for a while. Um, and i like Timothy bottoms. Let me say that, but I think he's terrible here. Like I, I didn't see any struggle in this guy at all. And then uh, uh, also, you know, no one seeks the cure while they're still happy and goofy, which is kind of what we got here. Like he's kind what of doing do this, you
2: want? like, what do I do? It's yeah, like, yeah, like dude, as a lark, come, you're not down on your luck. Your wife hasn't even left you yet.
1: Right. And that's kind of the problem with this episode. This guy like doesn't hit bottom and seeks this out just sort of as a last resort. I mean, he mentions that he's tried before in the past, but he seems like an asshole to begin with. So <laughs> right. I, I don't think he was trying too hard. Um, that's fair. And then, you know, like I liked the idea that they put this parasite into you that craves the alcohol. And if you drink it, it's going to get bigger and kill you. And if you stop, it's going to hurt you. Like I I, I kind of I mean, that's you know, that's any addiction. But it's handled so poorly here. Like, you know, he, I, I, I don't know. Like, it didn't seem like there were any stakes. Like, I never I never really believed that that wife was going to leave him. And, you know, and the, the the sort of central casting child that they had come in like, oh, are you sick again, daddy? Like, oh, my God. It was just so.
3: Uh, that child should I, have been aborted.
2: I believe. Yeah. Just like that other child. in That, that little other boy episode. Ross. Yeah. Yes. You know what? This episode reminded me a little bit of Kentucky Rye.
1: Yeah, where there you in that one, at least we were getting like the fucking consequence of this. Right. Here's what happens
2: if you drink, you die. You (laughs) literally die. I will say what could have fixed this episode. I, I enjoyed this episode a little bit. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. It would have been fun if this episode had given the audience the idea that maybe the worm wasn't real.
1: Oh, yeah, that could have been fun.
2: Like that. Right? Like, I felt like they had this opportunity. And you can, like, like, when you watch the episode, I think it's probably around, like, the 16-minute mark, which is six minutes before it ends. Um, They had this moment where he's like, well, it's part of you now. There's nothing you can do about it. So Mm -hmm. you better figure it out. Like, to me, I'm sitting there thinking, like, yo, this guy should just be fucking with alcoholics. Just like- Like I know that that's terrible, but this is also a fucking TV show, not real life. So, like, if you're making the story of a guy fucking with alcoholics as it is, he should really fuck with them and be like, at the end of the episode, be like, "Oh yeah, like that the fucking helgramite worm doesn't exist, dum dums." Like,
3: I, either that or a couple things. I understand that the guy who gives him the worm, he lost his daughter. Uh, because and of a family drunk and whole and family, family. Yeah, yeah maybe if timothy bottoms had been the cause of that that would have been something and it'd be more of like a personal motivation maybe that but at the same time i do like how it is kind of being passed from person to person that he's then helping out this other guy but at the same time okay if the worm is real How did this guy discover it? And like, what? Where did this come from? Was there some sort of deal with the devil to get this worm? Or how was it? How did it come into existence? How did they discover that this is going to be the thing to cure people of drunkenness? But yeah, it felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities with this one. And and to your point, Father Malone, I did just keep thinking about Quitters Inc. And I was just like, well, how did that one go? And what about the fingers? And what about the wife in the cage with the electricity? And I'm just. Yeah, I'm just being constantly reminded of better stuff.
1: And in Quitters Incorporated, like you got the sense that he's like desperately trying not to do it. And for
2: our audience, tell us, tell because I haven't read it in a while. Quitters Incorporated is a Stephen King short story
3: about it's about a man that is addicted to smoking, if memory serves, right? And it's very much the same kind of idea, like desperate, desperate to stop smoking. And ends up going to this mysterious corporation and they're like, hey, we can help you out. You just have to follow our program completely. And I don't remember all the ins and outs, but they basically end up like torturing his wife, uh, put her in a room with like electricity on the floor. And yeah, she's there like dancing on this electrical grid and just like screaming and it's like, Oh, you smoked a cigarette again. This is what you get kind of thing. And there's, there's this like implicit
1: threat that, you know, he has a young daughter that they'll, they'll, you know, treat her poorly. next. Oh, good. If he does that or, and, and, and not only that, like, so he has this sort of looming threat, but then he's actually being followed and they're like, You know, everywhere he looks, there's somebody like keeping up, uh, keeping tabs on him. And he thinks he's being like really furtive and secretive about attempting to smoke. But there's always someone around. So it's like nothing but tension the entire time. And, you know, I I, I mean, it's not fair to compare the two. But if you're going to play in this fucking sandbox after that thing exists, then do something better. And we didn't get it here when he walked out the door of the bar at the end and the fucking credits come up, I came up. I was like, wait, wait, What? I was wait. No, come I up, rail-
2: Vince, good guy I-
1: wins. Yeah. I-, I mean, I know I rail against the sort of uh, the writerly necessity here on the twilight zone. Like, well, oh, we got to get a twist in there, but like this one needed the fucking twist. There, there had to have
2: been something
1: way the- too straightforward.
2: Yeah. And-, and on top of everything else, it did that like really cheesy, cheap thing of like Hah! cut to like a week later. <laughs> yeah, fuck you fuck this bullshit trope. this is fucking lazy. you have written yourself into a corner. a scream is not your way out, but that's all we're gonna get. that's that is all that is. It is a lazy bottoms
1: scream really sells technique. those screams, right? It's like the same sort of sound over the like, <laughs> for like 20 <laughs> minutes. I was like come on, man. He's
2: doing his best uh, impersonation of a cowboy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeehaw! i forgot the the finger thing uh i just looked up the story and the finger thing is that um if the main character strays from his goal they threaten to cut off his wife's finger and then the very last part of the story is he and his wife at a party and he shakes the guy the host's wife's hand and realizes that she's missing a finger and so apparently King even went on uh, the record to say that he was inspired a little bit by Roald Dahl's The Man from the South episode, which was mm. famously turned into *A uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and then famously recycled by Tarantino in Four Rooms.
2: No, 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 no. You don't understand. Tarantino came up with it first. He wrote the goddamn novel in 1901 that everybody else references. OK, he traveled back in time and did it that way. Why do you hate him so much?
1: (laughs) You're hatred for fun, don't you?
3: You
2: you hate good movies that elevate the craft and just make us all better filmgoers, okay?
3: Yeah. Apparently, there's a 2007 (laughs) Bollywood film which is also based on the same story. And now I'm very curious to see that.
2: I mean, this story is a cool idea, which is why Stephen King clearly did the story better than this William Selby. Is not Stephen
3: King, yeah, I wanted to like it a lot more yeah. like you said I, I was on board for it as well, and it was just like, okay, like when he's pouring out all the liquor and stuff and then like smelling his hands and licking his hands and then he's just like washing his hands, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah this is all right, but yeah, it just didn't necessarily go far enough
2: no, no and and it again, honestly, this could have been an hour long.
3: No, no, feel no. quick,
2: right? Oh, uh-huh. my God. Well, you want to talk about quick? Wait until we get to the call, brother. Then we're going to talk <laughs> about five minutes in the ring with me, dude. That's all you're going to get. That's what it <laughs> felt like. Oh, my God. I I have not come down on very many of these episodes for being too short. Most of the time, it's like, thank God it's over. We're getting it out of the way. We're moving on to something else. This episode was way too short. If, if they had given it time to breathe, I genuinely think that we could have had some things like what Stephen King's short story talks about some sort of, some sort of punishment. I mean, the punishment is just, he's going to die. That's not very creative. Like what stakes are those? Whether
3: you going yeah, to die.
1: That was the thing about quitters incorporated was, uh, you know, he, he assumed that the threats were uh, toward him, but it wasn't that it was, they were right. going to hurt everyone around him, which is what addiction is. You know, the, the right. great bugaboo with addiction is you're, you're killing everyone in, in around you and not yourself. So, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a very interesting concept. I really wanted to like it. Ah, well.
2: Do you think if they had focused on his family instead of him, it would have been a better episode?
1: If they had written better characters for him to interact with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
2: So let's talk about the next episode. Our Selena is dying.
0: Your attention is drawn to the residence of the Brockman clan, an ancient mansion, its paneled walls polished by darkness, a lightless, soundless place upon which a greater darkness has fallen. The object of the Death Watch, Selena Brockman, Grand Dam of the Menagerie, who lies in her bed in an inch-by-inch battle with death, trying somehow to reach a compromise instead of a capitulation.
2: So our Selena is dying aired November 12, eighty eight. It stars Terry Garber, Jennifer Dale, and R. H. It is directed by Bruce Pittman with a teleplay by J. Michael Straczynski, who has been doing great work on this show so far. Just fantastic. And it's actually adapted from a Rod Serling story, which means this is only one way to go, Um, which is not well. This episode focuses (laughs) on a doctor who becomes suspicious that a young woman is losing her youth to her aunt, who is the titular Selena, who is dying. This is a really bizarre episode.
1: Did you say bad? I, I said agree. bizarre.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we use other words to make things. <laughs> it's, it is, it is not good though.
1: No, it it is remarkably bad. Like, uh, it, it, in all the ways, the previous episode had been kind of intriguing. So you, yeah, like I, I, I wanted to keep watching and see where they went. Here, it was pretty clear from the fucking get go what was going on, and it was just a slow grind to get there.
2: I too um, like to rip off Dorian Gray.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this even felt like uh, the uh, at least one, if not two, episodes of Colcheck the Night Stalker that we watched. I think it reminded us of, uh, reminded me of. The one with Kathy Lee Crosby. Was that her name? And then she was
2: the succubus
3: yeah then like had the eternal youth and then there was the eternal youth episode that was in the kolchak reboot and it's like okay yeah we get it you need to stay young and by you staying young you make other people around you old or suffer and this one is you make other people old so that you can be young and it even reminded me a little bit of the night strangler this whole thing where they go through the newspapers you know i'm thinking like you know uh little wally cox in the in the, the um uh the, the 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 morgue of the newspaper was like oh yeah here and then in 1844 there was this general and then in this year there was this which was again kind of almost a victor toomes type of thing i was about so, to say
2: that's yeah. very tombs
3: yeah so it's like but you okay. know like
2: done better by a yeah. better show
3: yeah and i would be curious i'd like to go back and see the queen of the nile episode that um this was based on because i think that would probably be a a little bit better than this so it certainly would look better i i I think i've said this
1: before on previous podcasts but like once they moved to canada the previous seasons whether or not the quality of the writing was good it always felt like a little movie and now Mm -hmm. i feel like we're just watching some cop procedural from the mid 80s it just it looks flat and uninteresting and the direction is just like it's so workmanlike it's actually an offense but ba- to but bad, but Yeah, I was going yeah. to say
2: bad workman like cuz workman like can yeah, be Yeah,
1: you direct. can do the job and do it competently and that should be the definition of workman like. Right. This is just like there's no style to it whatsoever. It's just like, oh, we got two people talking. I'll I'll cover it with a two shot and then two singles and yep. moving on.
3: Yeah, it is it's almost like uh soap opera type of yeah. uh, film that this that is, is and, yeah
2: that is the best comparison that that anyone has said as about this episode that i have heard so far and it is a soap opera it feels like it like
1: and you, know, and you know just sort of story-wise here so this old woman she has this power that she can sort of suck your youth out of you and then she becomes young why did she get to the age that she was at that she was so infirm that she needed a doctor Wait, oh, well, what? Da- right. don't
2: okay Take, I know, your, lo- I, I take your logic, logic
1: at this. Take your logic out
2: of this equation, then ask your question again. Okay, no, it isn't a question. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Don't question our logic here. It is just lazy, right?
1: Yeah, the worst kind of speculative fiction. The well, this is the Twilight Zone, so you'll go with it. Like, no, you still got to give us something.
2: Don't you love how every intro for this season so far has been like, and it's happening in the Twilight Zone, so you know.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, whatever like, whatever in, can in, happen, aliens can come seasons, from the sky. Like, we don't even need narration for this. Fuck it, just throw them into it. Now they're like, oh, you gotta remind them up front we're in the twilight zone. Then kind right. of reaffirm it again at the end.
3: Yeah. And it is so different than how chilling the original narration, the Rod Serling narration oh, would be, where you're God. just like, especially when it was like the camera would just move over and there's Serling standing there. Yeah. And you're like, uh-huh. oh, shit. <laughs> it's like things are about to get really real here.
2: In this one, it's like, "Uh, uh, uh she learned a lesson. Uh, 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 gotta go. Like, that's what it is. Like, Robin Ward, no fault of his own. They just like, no. didn't give a fucking shit. They're just like, you know what? You know what, Robin, why don't you watch the episode and you write the <laughs> outro? <laughs> like, that's what it feels like. That is what it. That is how lazy, As, and it, when we get to the call, it's even worse, but these like, the intro-outro narrations are just so bad that I'm getting to the point listening to them where I don't even want to include them in the episodes anymore. Cause like, normally I include them before we talk about it. It's like, oh, a little interesting segue. And now I'm just like, what's the fucking point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I prefer Charles Aidman in the first two seasons uh, and he passed away. Right. I mean, that's why they they got a new narrator. Um, But, uh, you know, I I do like the new guy's voice and I like how gentle it is. And if the stories were like as brutal as they should be, then that could be like a fun kind of irony to it.
2: A little bit of a wink.
1: Yeah. But they're they're not doing that. And I've noticed that every single episode we watch for this particular podcast the, the the opening intro like tells us everything we need to know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like it, it's so far afield from some of the earlier episodes where they're like, hey, uh, here we are. Check it out. And now it's just like spoon feed us the fucking things that we need to know so we won't ask too many questions along the way. Imagine, if you will, a woman in bed who can suck the powers from everyone around her. Wouldn't
2: that be fun? Welcome to the Twilight
3: Zone. The end. <laughs> kind right. is <laughs> drawn to the residence of the Brockman clan an ancient man mansion. its panelled walls polished by darkness a lightness soundless place upon which a greater darkness has fallen i mean it's almost up there with like it was a dark and stormy night <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah
3: not quite that cliche but uh, Open rather the a other warehouse, night. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> warehouse
2: night warehouse night exterior
3: exterior
2: <laughs> Smash <laughs> cut 2 exterior night warehouse a man stands alone <laughs> fuck you and you know what's really sad the saddest probably the biggest problem here j michael straczynski is really good at writing comic books
3: yeah yeah i like he's, babylon five yeah he's written some good stuff yeah but yeah this is this ain't yeah. it no no
2: this is not it times ten <laughs>
1: like, I mean, it, you know, it's got to be daunting if somebody hands you like, hey, here's the last outline Rod Serling ever wrote. Make this right. good. Uh, but this does you not rise, rise to that occasion. occasion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Because you know what? We saw in previous seasons, Rockne O'Bannon, he did Night of the Meek, which was a Serling episode. And it fucking, he was really, I liked it better than the original. So it can be done, but I don't know.
2: Well, Brother Rockne was keeping the show on calm waters when it was having problems so yeah his episodes were i mean that's the kind of real sad thing about the show at this point is there it doesn't seem to be anybody in the control room with half of a brain in their head pulling the controls like well we need to do this and it's like ah slam it all to the ground who cares
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i gotta wonder like you know clearly the show got canceled and then they're like no we're just gonna bring it back and I'm I'm sure there's a level of, well, I'm just happy to keep working and I'm happy to keep working on the twilight zone, but they're not uh, the, 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 I'm going to have to listen to the studio, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, like who knows how many fingers were in the pie here? They all stink. I know that much (laughs) (laughs) stinky fingers,
2: folks. I don't know. I, I, I really, I wonder what that Rod Serling outline looked like.
1: I wonder what Rod Serling's initial idea for
2: this episode was
1: Here's the, here's the whole treatment. Old women can suck powers out of people. That's pretty that's much it. it. I, <laughs> I mean,
2: <laughs> what do you think, CBS? Are you sold? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Mister Serling, here's as another As long as we episodes. can say a
1: very special Twilight Zone from Rod Serling himself, like uh, you Ooh. know, I don't, do I don't that's think they how cared they about the this? I right. I know that they did that whenever they remade an episode, the the advertising would be like, oh, a, a special recreation of the the original Twilight Zone. I mean, keep that in the back. Yeah.
2: <laughs> For the special customers. (laughs) Oh, God. You guys ready to talk about the
1: final episode? Kind of. Yeah. Could it be worse than this one? No, actually, no.
2: (laughs) So let's talk about that episode. We're going to talk about The Call.
0: Norman Blaine, whose greatest fear is that if he were to vanish from the Earth tomorrow, no one would notice or mourn or question and whose greatest sadness is the realization that he is probably right. Sofa, coffee table, chair, and pet. Solitary decorations in a life noted chiefly for its isolation. Point of origin and point of destination for Norman Blaine, whose days and nights are routinely swallowed into unhappy silence.
2: So The Call aired November 19th, 1988. It is once again directed by Gilbert M. Shilton. It is once again written by J. Michael Straczynski. This time it is written by J. Michael Straczynski, as opposed to teleplay by Mr. Straczynski. It does, however, star a fantastic actor, a fellow gentleman named William Sanderson. You may know him from such films as, let's go around the table, I know him from The Rocketeer.
3: Blade oh. Runner, baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. And A New Heart,
1: which was not a movie, but a TV show. And he was excellent in each of these things.
2: And I believe on your uh, podcast, The Projection Booth, Mike, you have spoken with Mr. Sanderson.
3: Yes, got him to talk about uh, his career and talk about Blade Runner and... Was such a nice man and was so appreciative of us talking to him. Like it was almost like, oh, you guys, nobody ever wants to talk to me about things. So I was like, that's really? a shame.
2: That yeah. is a Fucking shame. He, He's seems like, he seems like a genuinely nice guy
3: super nice. And he was telling us all about his wife and how much he loves his wife. And just like, you could tell he was like in New York city. He was a little lonely, just wanted somebody to talk to. And he was just like, yeah, sure. I'll talk to you guys about Blade Runner. Yeah. Let's let's wow. do it. So that's like, awesome. right. the only thing
1: is his performance in Blade Runner, like w- without him, everyone is really cold and distant in that movie. He's the actual human heart of that movie. Yes. Like, his death is like, it's it's uh, like they don't show it or anything. They just kind of mention it. And it's such
3: a blow when you hear it. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, everybody else is acting like a robot, but he's the one that makes the robots and he's the only one that, you know, he's making his friends. You know, he's so lonely in that movie. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, he plays lonely better than anybody that I know. It's the look. It's just his look. It's something
2: about it's the, the way he holds his friend, yeah. Dog, yep. Yeah, it's the way he holds his face. Mm-hmm. And and guess what we have in this episode? William Sanderson playing a man who's alone. <laughs> Yeah. Who dials a phone number in error and the person picks up, they have a conversation and then he goes to work and he works with the biggest dickhead on the planet. Oh my uh, God. Isn't he? God,
1: that, <laughs> man, guy's, oh that guy
2: is lucky that William Sanderson didn't walk over to the paper cutter, tear the blade off and just whack the dude over the head. with. <laughs> I have five Dang. kids and I need quiet. You will have quiet permanently here. momentarily. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the one time the guy wants to talk and it's just like, Whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> Uh,
2: But William Sanderson's uh, phone call, and they end up calling each other a couple nights. Uh, William Sanderson, I guess, is calling her. She's calling him.
3: Yeah, it seems like after a while, they're calling each other.
2: So he goes and looks for the phone number.
1: And it turns out (laughs) that
2: it's a bronze statue in a museum. Nobody saw that coming because it literally makes no sense.
1: (laughs) Makes no sense at all. I got to say, with all that, I I liked this episode. I'm always yeah. in the twilight zone. I, I, I enjoyed this episode. I'm, I am i don't know. I'm a sucker for the lonely person finding love, just like saucer of loneliness, which is yeah. much more skillful, obviously than this one.
2: I mean, but, I like the idea. Like yeah. William and Sanderson and are, finding companionship is always good.
1: And there are worse ways to spend 22 minutes than with William Sanderson. Oh yeah. Center.
2: Yeah. We already spent 22 minutes with the folks of, our selena is dying oh right yeah
1: man like this was a this was a a cooling balm after the last one so again i don't know if this is by comparison or uh whether the episode stands on its own but i ultimately i enjoyed this one
3: yeah i enjoyed this one as well i didn't mind the twist of her being a statue um i kind of (sighs) I guess I didn't necessarily see it coming. Like when he went to her work and then, you know, she calls him up and it's like, Hey, I saw you today, you know, looking for me. And I'm like, Oh shit. She was the statue. Okay. I mean, it wasn't like a major shocker, but I was like, okay, yeah, this works and doesn't make any sense, but I'm cool with it. And that, that he joins her forever. I was like, Okay, yeah, he really doesn't have anything else. It's not like that piece of shit coworker is going to turn <laughs> suddenly turn nice, right? So, and the the only thing that I think could have
1: really uh, put the episode over the top would be showing uh, William Sanderson's replacement at work, who is a nonstop chatterbox. Mm-hmm. That would have been that would have been felt that would have felt pretty good.
2: I. <laughs> No, no, I liked the episode. I just, when the episode ended, I, I believe, I'm trying to remember what I said out loud verbatim, but it was like, oh, come the fuck on, episode. Are you for real? That's how you're going to end? It's just, it's pretty cornball.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Remember, no, no, no if about you will, it.
2: this lonely man who's now sitting on a bench forever, and no one questions it. There's just this new thing in the, in the museum that just looks like the guy who was there the day before, or maybe, who knows, it was really hard to tell.
1: I actually thought about that, too, and I thought, like, because that that curator woman's got to come and look and go, wait, what the fuck? fuck? (laughs) But but it actually made me happy because he put his hands on her, so it wasn't just like he was a statue sitting next to her. It's like like one statue, so it wasn't like they were going to remove him. I I guess I was bringing more to the episode than it was was giving me. But, and, you know, look, as soon as I realize, you know, like you said, Mike, when you realize that it's the statue. Right. uh, Of course, my brain starts reeling with thoughts of, like, what, did she just pick up the phone like is she wandering around at night right, like right like,
2: how does she remember his number it's, could she it's use telepathic.
1: A pen? <laughs> 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 yeah i mean i, I don't know uh, the, the the sort of uh, the logical questions that that came up with earlier episodes i knew that this one made even less sense but there it's it was such a genial episode and william sanderson is so likable mm-hmm. that i'm willing to forgive the rest of that
2: i mean this episode pretty much s- survives
1: on William Sanderson's performance. Oh, my yeah. God. If, if Timothy Bottoms had been in this role, <laughs> then, then yeah, I'd be, I'd be saying pass right now. Yeah. And
2: making his strange noises the entire time. You don't want that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm drunk. Don't you know?
1: Hey, everybody. I'm a little bit of drunky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think for me. I like this segment, but I think for me, this segment just kind of feels very samey. It's just like, I mean, we've had a couple of these like lonely people looking for love episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now it's just a lonely man looking for love. He finds it. It just happens to be a inanimate object.
3: And people I guess fall the in love with inanimate objects all the time. I know. Just ask my wife. You're an inanimate fucking object. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, did you guys catch the thing about the art, why the artist... I, I was trying to figure out if this was why the artist was st- stuck in the statue. Was she stuck in the statue because she killed herself?
3: I think so. I think Holy it was kind sh- of her punishment. Holy shit!
2: That's yeah. some fucked up punishment, man. Like, I want a story about that character. The character like, I'm going to fucking make in this art, and I'm going to fucking kill myself. Oh shit, I'm stuck in my statue now. Like,
1: yeah. But, but we, we got that.
2: I know, right? In, in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you're right. We did.
1: I mean, you know, they yeah. could have dramatized it, I suppose. It is a visual medium. Why not?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there fuck <you>. is that.
2: <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. It's better I mean, than Arcelina's dying. It felt yeah.
1: more like one of the earlier seasons. Sort yeah. Of att- attempts at this uh, kind of. Uh, uh, I, God, I don't want to. It is cornball, but like it, it does seem to have more of a heart than that. You know,
2: if you told me that this was the reboot of the original show's episode, not the last one,
1: I would have believed you. Totally. Yeah. This feels it, this, yeah. Like, this feels really old. Twilight Zone. Yeah, which does. Is,
2: Which is why I'm kind of sitting here like, oh, this is kind of quaint. You know what I mean? Like, I don't expect this from this show. I expect it from the original show. So maybe that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's still a good episode. I mean, like you guys have said, William Sanderson, he just does that hang dog better than anybody else does. Not Hound Dog. That's the other guy.
1: Right. Yeah, that was the uh, once in a Elvis,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the hang dog,
1: the hound dog. Impaled on a guitar.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> Back in time, nonetheless, he killed Elvis, and then he became Elvis, and then he committed all the and same. Then he wore his
1: bloody clothes. Yeah, that's and then right. he committed the all Sun the Studios. same
2: problems that Elvis did.
1: Because the king would have he did this. I gotta I gotta follow it I to the letter. Yeah. I gotta I don't want to improve Elvis's
3: life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta trust that piece of shit. Uh, Colonel Tom Colonel Parker. Tom Parker. Oh, yeah.
2: He's not just trying to make money off of me. I swear.
1: Wouldn't yeah. that be the first thing you would do if you were Elvis is fire that motherfucker. Fuck. I, I would
2: kill him. It. I would pull yeah. out a gun and just shoot him. Who's gonna send Elvis to jail?
1: Right.
2: <laughs> not Nixon. Not Nixon. That's who. Nope. I've seen that picture with them shaking hands. I know yeah. the truth.
1: God and there's man. two movies based on it. Oh, yeah, it's true.
2: So on the next episode of Chronicles from the Crypt, oh whoa, whoa, not the show that we are on. Yeah, <laughs> bringing it back for one night only to talk about Twilight Zone. <laughs> on the next I miss episode it too. I know it it's just it cuts cuts deep to my core. Um, on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be talking about the trance acts of terror. Acts, acts, and twenty twenty vision.
3: I got twenty twenty one vision.
2: I was about to say I, I'm a living in a twenty twenty world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> Until then, where can people find you, Father Malone? Are you still fighting internet uh, trolls?
1: No, nah, I'm. Uh, I, I cooled my jets on that. The people have just been ridiculous lately, but. Um... Uh, no, if you want to yeah. check anything uh, that I do out, uh, please head over to fathermalone.com. Uh, I have a podcast called Dark Destinations, which is like a half hour radio drama. Uh, you can check me out on that. And uh, there's also a link uh, to my YouTube channel where I've got a, a, a movie review show called You've Never Seen. But... Oh, stop.
2: <laughs> I, if people have seen those movies, is they there an email? Me, yeah, is there an email tell me they, immediately. An Email address that they can send an email to you about? <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Please don't <laughs> harass Father Malone online. Harass him in person. Yeah.
1: I don't want to give dress. them any more airtime than they deserve. So I'm just wait.
2: It no. Nice now way. you have to go ahead. Come on. You no. Know,
1: I had I had a guy who uh, he watched uh, my Gold Diggers of nineteen thirty three episode, and his comment was, "Turn your microphone down, you idiot." I think. Which <laughs> huh. is which is at least. Like he, he wants you to it turn it, it all the way down it, to off. Yeah, I, yeah. It, so I just I wrote back in all caps. Thanks for watching! Exclamation point. But uh, like
3: you know, I don't know. That's moving on. Mike, where can
1: people find you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you can find me over at the Projection Booth, which is available at ProjectionBoothPodcast.com. and you can also find Chris and I talking about Rankin and Bass specials on the Rankin on Bass podcast, and. Chris and I also talk about uh, Barney Miller, which is available at the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller, which is also a podcast that you should put in your ear holes.
2: You should. And I like how you said Rankin on Bass Specials, because we can't claim to be a Christmas podcast anymore. No. <laughs> and no. We're beyond that. And then some, you know, when you talk about Rankin and Bass's Lord of the Rings, you kind of lose the ability to say you're a holiday show anymore.
1: But, oh, but those aired in the holidays. No, I don't know. I'm just (laughs) just trying to (laughs)
2: help. They may may have. Um, I was just trying to help. (laughs) As for me, you can find me on the internet at cstashu.com. That's my link tree that goes to all the things that I work on. The other thing that I work on that Mike hasn't mentioned is the Culture Cast, which comes (sighs) out once a week.
3: We talk about movies. Yippee. Sometimes (laughs) Father Malone's on there. Sometimes Sometimes I'm on there. there.
2: Sometimes other people are on there. Sometimes nobody's on there and we don't do it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We call um, those
3: missed weeks.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, and, and for this show, you can find us at twilightzone85.com, twilightzone85 on Twitter. And as always, big thanks to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music for the show. And we'll catch you on the next episode, I think. That works. Are you still here,
3: listener?